This morning's scripture reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. That's on page 872 of the Pew Bibles. Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. It is good to be together to worship God. If you're a guest, uh, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, It feels like a while since I've been here. Uh, We've had a wonderful two weeks. I'm sure you heard some reports last week about the mission trip in Kentucky, in Owenton, Kentucky. I'd like to give you just one quick, wonderful update from that. Uh, You probably have already heard that Uh, There were thousands of doors knocked upon and seven individuals were baptized into Christ. But also, uh, you remember, that was the very first week that that congregation ever met. It is the only church of Christ in the county, and that was the first day that it met. And so the following week, of course, a few weeks prior to that, the preacher and his wife were afraid that they would be the only ones in worship. And so the campaign was successful, and the week after we pulled out of town, uh, there were 14 people in worship that morning, and uh, they were just so excited. I talked with Bill uh, this past week. Be praying for them. Pray for them today. Uh, pray for the work. There's, there's only young Christians there. And so let's pray that they can grow and mature and that great things can happen. And then also, we went to a much more stable, uh, larger, more established and larger congregation for a mission trip in Hattiesburg, Mississippi this past week. And our young people went and joined up with four other youth groups. And so there were over 100 teenagers door knocking every day, inviting individuals to come to a gospel meeting that was Sunday through Wednesday. 11,000 doors were knocked on, 436 Bible correspondence courses were set up, and 27 in-home Bible studies were also set up. And so the congregation there uh, has already begun the follow-up on all of those things. And be prayerful of that. We had visitors almost every service at that campaign also, just as we did in Kentucky. And, uh, you know, door knocking is a wonderful opportunity. By no means is it the only way to evangelize, but it is a wonderful way uh, to reach an entire area or entire uh, community. And we're thankful that God has given us the opportunity to do that. I'd like to mention uh, something just for a little clarity's sake, because if, if I were in your shoes, I know over the next few weeks I would be thinking, hmm, has something changed with David's schedule? If I could just give you a brief Uh, here's what's going to happen the next few weeks so that you'll know it's not going to be like this forever, okay? Uh, The the elders, uh, they have graciously given me three weeks each year to do gospel meetings outside of our campaign work. Uh, So three Sunday through Wednesday gospel meetings. Uh, I book those usually about 10 years in advance. 
So back in the early 2000s, when 2011 was being booked, I did not realize that all three of those gospel meetings were going to take place in July and August. And so um, over the next few weeks, it's going to seem that I'm away on Sundays about as often as I'm at home. And it'll seem that way for a good reason. And I'm sorry for that. If, if I could have seen that out front, I would have scheduled that out. And, and the only reason I mention that to you, if you're thinking, wow, has something changed? In, in a 52-week calendar, it's the same as always, uh, pretty much. But, but in, in this summer, it's going to seem really different. And, and I hate that. And I hope that uh, you'll be uh, prayerful for the work of the kingdom all over. And I hope that each of us will may, remain committed to our work And uh, let's make sure that the important work here in the kingdom continues. With that in mind, uh, I will be away in a gospel meeting next week, but we all have a wonderful opportunity and even responsibility. John Michael is going to come in and preach next Sunday. And of course, he is our new involvement minister. He'll begin on August the 15th. I want to encourage you uh, to uh, embrace uh, he and Lindsay and support them and encourage them next week and just... Uh, reassure them by your hospitality and your kindness that, that they have made a wonderful decision to come here. We look forward uh, to them being here. Also, since I won't be here next week to push this, I just want to remind parents and especially the high school and college age young men, Chisel will be July the 6th, 7th, and 8th. That is a 48-hour leadership experience for high school and college-age young men, and it's usually a really powerful 48 hours. We look forward to it. July the 6th is a Wednesday. We'll begin somewhere around 3.30 or 4 o'clock that Wednesday afternoon and return on that Friday afternoon at about the same time. So uh, be letting me know. Email me. Hand me uh, an attendance card with your name on it. Uh, some way, give me something in writing. Don't, don't just walk by and say it because I'll forget it. But give me something in writing or my email to let me know if you're coming so that we can make plans to have enough transportation and, and arrangements for uh, the entire group. God is good to us. He gives us a lot of opportunities and a lot of opportunities to touch souls throughout uh, the United States and even around the world. Soon we'll have a team leaving for Ukraine. And, um, and right now we have a team in West Virginia, in Marlington, West Virginia, beginning a vacation Bible school uh, that is, I'm not exaggerating when I say it is the highlight of the year for this particular congregation. And they look so forward to Mount Juliet being a part of that. And so we want to serve. We want to give God all the glory. And uh, we want to remember uh, that, that God has a place for each one of us. So find your place and, and serve uh, passionately for God. For those of you that have been on the two campaigns, I feel like I need to begin with apologizing. I wrote a lesson right before we left for the campaigns. It was a lesson that you're going to hear today, and I'm sorry you're going to hear the same one again. But I just feel, felt like it was such an important lesson. I couldn't stand not preaching it to to us here at Mount Juliet. The gentleman was in his mid-80s and he arrived early to a doctor's appointment at 8.30 and he explained to the nurse they had a 9 o'clock appointment. If he could just get the stitches out and be on his way, he didn't want to be late for his 9 o'clock appointment. 
And yet, she asked him to be seated in the waiting room, but she knew by looking at the crowd in the waiting room, there was no way he would make it to that 9 o'clock appointment. So she went back and she talked to a doctor and she explained the situation and said, look, I saw his hand. It's healed very well. If I could bring him back and you just glance at it and approve it, I could remove the stitches and this man could be on his way and he won't be very late. And so they approved that. And, and so as the nurse was removing the stitches in small talk, she began visiting with a man and, and she says, so... Is your nine o'clock appointment, is it another doctor's office visit somewhere? And he says, oh no. He says, you see, at nine o'clock, I always go while my wife is eating breakfast. She's in a nursing home. She has Alzheimer's. And as the conversation just continues, she said, well, you're probably going to be a little bit late. Will, will that make her anxious? And will that worry her this morning that you're running a few minutes late? And he said, oh no. He said, You see, the reality is uh, she hasn't even recognized me for five years now. And the woman stopped and looked at him and said, wait a minute. You, she hasn't even recognized you for five years. But yet, you go and you visit her every morning at nine o'clock. Why? Why do you do that? And he put his hand over on the nurse's arm and as he patted, he said, Honey, she doesn't know who I am, but I know who she is. And as that gentleman walked down the hall that day, the nurse stood and watched him walk away. And she literally mumbled out loud to herself, I want to find someone who will love me like that one day. Love. We seem to recognize the pureness of true love when we see it. But yet on the other hand, we seem to find a hard time of always keeping it in the place where God has kept it. And we also seem even to struggle to define really what it is. And so this morning what I'd like to do is just kind of lay out a, a foundation for tonight's lesson, but really to ap- for, for today's lesson, but tonight will be the application to the lesson. Today we'll simply ask this question, how important is love? How important is it? Right now, if, if you had to take out a blank sheet of paper and write a paragraph, how important would love be if you answered that question in your paragraph? How important is love? I hope when we leave here this morning that we have a firm uh, understanding, if if we need to renew the conviction that I want to have as much appreciation and commitment to love that God has toward love. So how important is this love? We literally could look to hundreds, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of passages this morning to see how important love is. So as we're going through some of these passages, there will probably be others that will run through your mind and you may even be sitting there thinking, well, he should have went to this passage or he should have used that passage. That was literally the problem I had when I was writing this lesson. Where do you end when you're studying a topic that literally is on almost every page in the New Testament? How how do you just pull out and say, these are the verses I'll use? But especially this morning, I want us to look at verses that help us prioritize love. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 8. 1 John 4 and verse 8. How do we prioritize love? How important is love? In 1 John 4 and 8, John was called the, the apostle of love. 
And so he writes in 1 John 4 and 8, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay, now think how high John sets the bar here as he talks about love. What does he say? If you do not know love, what? You don't know God. How important is it for us to know God? Well, surely all of us would say that that must be one of the greatest, greatest uh, uh, feats or accomplishments or desires that we ought to have in our life is to know God. And he says, okay, if you don't know love, you don't know God. And then he keeps that bar set just as high, if not even maybe the highest that the bar has ever been set to describe love when he says, God is love. Now, it's not true that love is God. But it is true that God is love. Now that is powerful. How high is love? God is love. We don't know God unless we know love. That's why today we're going to spend the day saying, I want to know the love that God would have me to know so that I can know God the way I ought to know God. I want to know the love that would describe in this statement, God is love. Let's go back to the text that was read this morning, Matthew, the 22nd chapter. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, one of the most well-known passages about love in the Bible, Jesus was being set up here, at least they thought they were setting him up. They wanted to prove him to be not as intelligent as he had come across, not to be able to speak with quite the authority that he had spoken in the past. They thought that they would ask, they would throw out a trick question, he would stumble and it would make his believers not think as highly of him as what they were thinking of him. And so in 35, we know that they were testing him in 26 and 36. The teacher uh, says, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? This is a law. You're asking him this. And so he wants to know what's the greatest commandment. And notice the answer in 37. Jesus said to him, you shall love. Now this is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord, your God with what? All of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And, and Jesus has no problem apparently saying here, this is the first and the greatest. How important is it? What's the priority? This is the first and the greatest commandment. And even though they didn't ask, he goes ahead and says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes another uh, revealing observation. On these two commandments hangs all of the law and the prophets. So I want you to imagine here there's a canopy over our life. And I'm talking every aspect of our life. A canopy over our life when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're at home, when we're alone, when we're on vacation. Every aspect of our life, there's a canopy that we are to live under. And that is the love of God. Can, can you say, I live under the love of God in everything in my life? That's the first and great commandment. Everything else hangs under that. The second commandment that hangs under that is to love your neighbor as yourself. All the other teachings. You say, what about religion? What about morals? Uh, What about personal devotion to God? Everything, everything hangs under these two commandments. What is that first commandment? Love God with all of your heart. What is your deepest desire? Your deepest desire. You've heard me say this before, probably, but what if someone woke you up in the middle of the night, and so you're coming out of a dead sleep, and they immediately say to you, what's your deepest desires? What's going to just mumble out of your mouth? Oh, it's our dream house we've been saving for years. 
Oh, it's to get that degree. I've been working for years. What, what is your deepest desire? Would something about your relationship with God and wanting to spend an eternity with God, would that describe your deepest desire? Like in Exodus, the beautiful passage, 33rd chapter, where, where Moses just longed to see the face of God. He wanted to be in the presence of God. What is your deepest desire? Here he says, to love God with all of your heart. But then he says also all of your soul. We are, in sense, two-part individuals. We're body and soul. And he says, I want you to love God with all of your soul. We sometimes sing the song, Home of the Soul. Isn't it a shame the very existence that our soul was created, and that is to live eternally with God, misses its home? Doesn't spend eternity with its home. Never reaches its home. What a disaster that would be. Right now, the soul, it's in a temporary home. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5, we call this home a tent. And one day, if, if the Lord doesn't come first, This tent is going to be neatly folded and and placed in a casket. And this soul is going to continue living. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to be given a new body. That soul is simply going to move to a new house. And this next house is going to be more permanent. And it will spend an eternity in one of two places. Do you love God with your soul? What about your mind? Love God with your mind. What what is the mind as it relates to our relationship with God? It's not that God expects all Christians to be scholars. But God does expect all Christians to learn His will. The easiest thing for us to do is be conformed, be shaped by the world. Remember Romans 12 and 2? Do not be conformed by the world. Instead, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have to love God with our mind where we can literally say, Lord, I want to learn what your will is and how to apply it into my life. First and greatest commandment, love for God. What's the priority? First and greatest. Look in John, the 13th chapter. Jesus helps us see a little bit of the application of this type of love. And in John, the 13th chapter, I'd like to remind you what has just happened in this chapter. They have just celebrated the Passover. That is Jesus and his apostles. They've just celebrated the Passover. Jesus has led this Passover feast. And... and He would have been sitting in the highest position of it. The greatest respect and honor would have been given to the one that was leading the Passover. And in the early few verses of John the 13th chapter, we read that he gets up from the table and he takes off his garment and he puts on a towel, which was literally the uniform for a servant. And he does the task that would be the task of the lowest servant in the home. And that is, he draws a basin of water and he goes around and he began washing the disciples or the apostles' feet. Friends, I want you to note something. He wasn't acting like a servant. Philippians 2 tells us that he took upon himself the form of a servant. In other words, Jesus came to this earth to serve mankind. Why? 
And this is important for our lesson this morning. Because He loved us. He didn't come to this earth to act like He loved us. He came to this earth because He loved us. And because He loved us, He didn't come to act like He loved us. He came to love us. In other words, He came to be a servant. As preachers, as teachers, as parents, as mentors, we have to stop using the word acting. I want you to act like a servant. I want you to act like a Christian. The Lord calls us to love Him with all of our being so that we will become Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed. We are changing into something else. Someone who truly doesn't love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they don't love their neighbor as their self, they may do acts of service, but they're acting. They may act like they love, but they're acting. It takes a complete servanthood mindset, life, to be able to get up from leading the Passover and believe that it's your place to wash feet. And from that very same evening, he's about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's going to lay prostrate on the ground and he's going to sweat as if it were great drops of blood. And we'll look at a little bit more of that tonight. But you remember his prayer. Let this cup pass from me. What do we hear? What are we hearing? We're hearing sacrifice. I don't want to have to die on the cross, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Is there some other way we could do this? Do you see? In between these two events, what events? Service and sacrifice. We have this beautiful teaching in John the 13th chapter in verse 34. A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. Pause there for a moment. If he stopped there, it is not a new commandment. They were taught, Israel was taught under the old covenant to love one another. What makes this a new commandment? Read the next phrase. That you love one another as I have loved you. That's what makes it new. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. What's new about this? Remember what we're studying this morning? How important is love? Jesus raises the bar of love one another. The second commandment has never been greater than when Jesus says this. Okay, I do want you to love one another, but let me explain to you the level that I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. I came and I served you you because I loved you enough to become your servant. Do you really love others that much? Do you really love God that much? And to sacrifice, what is sacrifice? Someone says sacrifice is to give. No. I I would think that we could pass the plate around this morning and everybody here could give one more dollar and there wouldn't be many, if any, that that dollar would be a sacrifice. What is sacrifice? Sacrifice isn't just to give. Sacrifice is to give until it hurts. Until it costs you. Until now you can no longer have the level of comfort, of possessions, etc. that you had before you gave. What's the Lord asking of us? 
Friends, we can't think that he's asking something small of us if he's saying this is the greatest. And he's saying it over and over in the scriptures. So what are we to do? We're to become servants. We're to become men and women and boys and girls that live sacrificially. Why? What would move us to do either or both of these? Love. Love one another as Christ has loved us. Look, if you will, in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. 1 Corinthians, 13th chapter, we'll come back tonight and we'll look a little bit more at this and we'll see in the first three verses that the motive of love ought to be in everything that we do. And then in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, in the very first of 8, he gives us a beautiful description of love that we'll look at tonight. But, like I, but what I would like for us to look at uh, right now is just that last verse of this beautiful chapter of love. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Look at verse 13. And now abides faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now this morning, if we were not reading from the Word of God and we had never heard a teaching like this, there could easily be several that would challenge that statement. What if we didn't know the teachings in the Scriptures and about how important love is and someone comes along and says, faith, hope, love. One of these is greater than the rest. Which would it be? I would guess that many of us would argue that faith would be the greatest. Faith, it's, we know from the seven ones... There's one faith and there's one hope. That's a very important list and it's in there. We also know from faith that Romans 10 and 17, that faith comes a hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we know that the word of God is what produces this faith. And we understand the concept of applying faith as it relates to faithfulness. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, we consider it one of the great chapters in the Bible because we get to read of individuals who were faithful. Their faith, their assurance, their conviction moved them. Now, please note this. I'm not suggesting to you by any stretch of the imagination that Paul is trying to belittle the importance of faith. I believe that Paul would esteem faith as much as he could esteem faith or hope. That's not the emphasis of bringing them down. What is he doing in this passage? As important as faith is and as important as hope is, he's saying, let me tell you something that is even greater than those two. Love is even greater. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians, the fifth chapter. Do you remember in the last half of Galatians, the fifth chapter, we have a listing of the works of the flesh now, the works of the flesh begin in verse 19 and 20 and 21 is completed. And, and notice it begins by saying, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, etc. Now, note this. All of the works of the flesh are done in the absence of love. Remember that canopy that we live under? If we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, we live under that canopy, we would never commit the works of the flesh. We have to leave that canopy and we have to go out into the world in order to commit adultery or fornication. Now, we don't have time in this morning's lesson to develop this, and I honestly don't even know if we'll get a chance to develop this tonight. But if you want to think about this and study on it, this is a powerful point of application. John 8 and 44, Satan is the father of lies. He deceives us. And how does he deceive us about love? 
he convinces us that we do the works of the flesh because of love. How many times have, have we heard someone describe an adulterous relationship and they say, well, I just love them so much. No. You can't even use that word. I'm talking about in, in, in be truthful. There is no way to talk about adultery and love together. Because real love is what we have that is pure and holy toward God and toward others. And we read in Romans, the 13th chapter, verse 8, 9, 10, and 11, that true love does not harm others. What does adultery do? It condemns souls. What does it do to families? It harms them also. So what's the result? Love does not harm others. The works of the flesh can never be done and described as love. I challenge you as a Christian, stop using the word. There is no such thing as a love affair as it relates to fornication and adultery. You could call it a lust affair. You could call it a sinful affair. But it is not a love affair. That is, it's a lie. It is a lie of Satan where he has convinced the world that they've tied something good like love into something like fornication. All right, and so, so now let's go back to this, this morning's lesson. We read down the end of this, and, and, and it's as if he's saying, here are things that you can't practice under the first and second greatest commandment. But then he says, let me tell you about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, after this morning's lesson, is it any surprise to you what's going to be the first characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit? Look there in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Why do you think love is listed first? I really believe there's a reason. Uh, I'm not saying every time there's a list in the Bible that that the order is, is always important, but I really believe there's a reason why love is mentioned here first. If love, first and second commandment, is in place all, these re- all the rest of these characteristics can be uh, uh, experienced, they can be cultivated, they can be grown. When love is in place, then joy and peace and, and the list goes on there. Those things cannot exist without love being the highest in our life. Now, I'd like for you to look at one more list and then a closing passage. Look at Colossians, uh, the third chapter. In Colossians, the second chapter, we have the story of... Uh, Baptism, we have the uh, teaching of baptism, and he uses the analogy of circumcision. It's a very beautiful and powerful passage. And then he begins in verse 1 of Colossians, the third chapter. Notice verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. So we're seeking something that's not earthly. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind. See, now we're back to your mind being set on things above, not on things of this earth. And so then, and when he says if you've been raised above, if you've been raised up, he's talking about if you've been raised from the waters of baptism, now you're thinking eternally, not earthly. You're, you're, you're thinking heavenly and not temporary. Temporal. And so, with this in mind, it's like changing clothes. There's some things we're going to take off. Look at verse 8. But now, you yourselves are to put off. That's taking off. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. See, every one of those things cannot be done if we love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. But then notice as we put that garment off, we have to put some things on. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on what? Tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Pause there for a moment. That's a beautiful list. 
How is he going to cap that list? It's no surprise, is it? Look at verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Greater than tender mercy, greater than loving kindness, greater than forgiveness is love. Why? Why does he say it's greater? Those things can never be real, be practiced, be a part of our life if first love is not above all of those things, the first and second grace commandment. Let's close by going to a passage that we went to just a few weeks ago. Remember in Philippians, the first chapter, and we could do the same thing in Ephesians, but since we were here a few weeks ago and I knew we were going to be crunched on time, let's go to one that we're already familiar with. You remember when Paul was praying for Christians? And you remember we have the beginning of his prayer here in Philippians 1 and verse 9 where he says, and this I pray. What's going to be the first thing that he prays for? Is it any surprise that it's love? And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. Remember that word abound was to overflow. It's like the tide of an ocean coming in and it comes in again and it comes in again and it never stops doing that. Our love is to abound. We should be maturing in our love continually. In other words, we don't reach the close of this day and say, well, I finally reached the point of loving God and loving others as I should. I don't have to work on that anymore. This is something that we do every day. Every one of us has a responsibility today to evaluate ourselves, to, to push ourselves, if you will, in striving to what? To abound in love, and that's still more and more in knowledge. This love is tied to truth, and we'll come back tonight and see what the truth is when we ask the question, what is this love? Let's see what the truth is about this love, and notice it's tied to discernment. And so, love is the motive where we practice truth And when we can use our decision-making faculties to say, I want to be able to love others the way God wants me to love him and others, then we will know the discernment that is designed to be practiced through love. This morning, how important is love to you? It's not a question of Well, did I come to church on Sunday? In other words, it's not that simple. It's not just a little box in our life. The question is, does the love of God rule and reign in every aspect of my life? The way I treat the neighbor down the road that gives me grief, do I love them the way God would want me to love them? the way I interact with that family member, the way I interact with God, do I love the way God has taught me to love and understand that it is of the highest importance? I hope and I pray, as I'm sure you do, I want us to be a congregation that always stands on the truth of God's Word lifts high the teachings of God. But let us never forget that the greatest of these is love. Let's speak the truth in love. Let's be people of faith in love. Let's fulfill everything that God expects us to be through the motive of love. This morning, 
If we can help you in any way as you strive to serve God, if you're ready to be baptized into Christ, or if you want to be restored and and have prayers of strength and forgiveness, we want to love you and encourage you as God would have us to. And if we can help you this morning, come as we stand and as we sing.